Mark 1, if you've got your Bibles, turn them to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I'm going to have to read off the screen because I left my Bible at home. Yeah, I know. How unholy. All right. It says, And at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I just want to say this for a minute right there, right? This world is searching for supernatural things. The young people of the next generation, this generation, is hungry for supernatural things. That's why they're into seances. That's why they're into all these TV programs, Harry Potter, because they're hungry for the truth and they're hungry for supernatural things. The Bible is the most supernatural book that you can ever get. I mean, you imagine being there and, and that Jesus gets baptized. It says that heaven tore open. Jesus saw it like this and then the, a spirit came on him like a dove and a voice came from him, and you are my son whom I love. Imagine being there at that time. The Bible is full of some supernatural stuff that actually happened. It said at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended to him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, they were, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And so we've got Jesus, right, and he's baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He goes out into the desert to be tempted to the devil by the devil. And then he comes out and he starts this ministry. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And then he goes up to these guys and he begins to choose people. And he begins to call them by name and go up to people and say, you, 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 and you. And he says to them this phrase. He says, come follow me. And this phrase, come follow me, in our English words, is not really quite like it was in the original Greek. And there was a phrase there that had power about it. To a Jewish person, this is a Jewish world, when Jesus said to them, come follow me, he said something Amazing. And I want to talk to you on the subject tonight of come follow me. Let you turn to your neighbor and say, come follow me. Turn to the other side and say, the guy beside me or girl, it's real weird. Never mind. Move along. It's all right. And when I say that, you know, come follow me, obviously it's not come follow me. We're talking about Jesus tonight. We're talking about following the King of Kings. I'm talking about following the answer to life. I'm talking about following what you need in your life to live the best life here on earth. A few years ago, about four, five years ago, I think it was, uh, I'm from Queenstown in New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand, best place on earth. And uh, what's that? Huh? I missed all that. I'm lost, I'm lost. Getting mocked. It'll be something mocking about sheep or something. Hey, that's what it normally is. Bird? Yeah, rugby, whatever, we, we win at that though. We dominate, <laughs> dominate. And uh, yeah, it's nice like when you hear other New Zealanders. Oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I was in Queenstown, right, and we used to run the youth back there and at our church, and I was given a, um, a, a kite boarding setup. You know what kite boarding is? You get a kite, attach yourself to it, go on the water. And uh, we'd also do it on the snow. And, um, but I had this kite, and my friend, he's a crazy guy. He's like, he's probably, what, how old is John now? About 55 something like that, and he's still heaps young at heart, and he's heaps fit, 
and he, um, he's into anything. He's the guy who first snowboarded down the backside of this mountain called Remarkables, which is um, Mount Doom off Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we look out our windows and see that, and orcs and stuff walking by, not really. But we, we, we live by that mountain, right by it. You can see it every day, go up it. And John, my friend, he was the first person to snowboard down the backside of it through these chutes. He started a river surfing business in Queenstown, and every time I hang around with John, I'd find myself at a moment of having to pray for my life because he was an idiot. And he would put me into things that, you know, I'd just be like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? I'd be in the river, like a grade four rapid river, holding onto a bodyboard, like going, he's like, just duck dive it, man. It's cool. Like, kind of, you go surfing, you'll be fine. And, you know, like, yeah, right. Like, maybe up in the beach, but not in the river. Uh, anyway, just time after time, I find myself with John, I'd be praying for my life. He gives me this kiteboarding setup because he's really into it for Christmas one year. Nice guy, generous. Tells me, go look in your house. So I look in my house, there's this board, a kite. And I wasn't that sure if I even wanted to do it, but I thought, man, he's a good guy. I'm going to have to give this a go because he's given it to me. And so anyway, I do it from time to time, and it's heaps dangerous, and you get dragged around and you know, wasted by this kite. And one time, though, when John wasn't around, I got the kite out and took it up to the field. And you don't really do this, okay? It's not what you're supposed to do with it. And we inflated it, and it's like a 12-square-meter kite. It's really a little bit like a small aircraft. And uh, we, we blew it up, and we put it up, and it was heaps gusty. Like, Queenstown can get very gusty. And it, it, the kite would sit up in the sky, and it, sometimes it would drop. And what happens is if it drops out of the sky, and the wind catches it again at the wrong moment, it will take you flying. That's why it's got release mechanisms and all that, and you've got a harness that you're attached to it with. And we were there flying the kite, and my good friend Tama here, who um, he actually just randomly ended up coming with me tonight, but he actually ends up being the star of the sermon. And he, he was there, and I go, oh, do you want to go, Tama? Like, so I give him a go, and he's flying the kite, and he's having some issues with it, and like, I, I think I'm pretty good, so I'm like, oh, give, give it back, I'll show you something. So I got the kite, and you know, this kite has a leash on it, right? And you grab the leash, and you put it on your arm, so that when you let go of the kite, it depowers one of the lines, and the kite will just fall out of the sky, that's what's supposed to happen. And so I, I, I've got the leash, and no one had it on, so I, I handed it to Tama, because I'm going to give it back to him, right? So I give him the leash to put on, ready for when I give you the kite. So I look at the corner of my eye, and he's got the leash, and he, for some, I still don't know why, I actually probably need to ask you about this later, but for some reason, he put the leash through, through his shoelaces, like that. Like, strapped it up like that. And I'm like, that's different. You know, kind of just kept flying the kite. And then, all of a sudden, the kite sort of fell out of the sky, and I was like, oh no, you know, like kind of it's going to get caught again, and, and then suddenly, bang, and I got caught by the wind, and I didn't let go of it, and it just pulled me, and pretty soon, I'm telling you, I was, I was off the ground, I was about 15 feet off the ground, I reckon, and then I remembered, oh, somebody's got the leash around their foot, and I looked down, and there's this guy, he's not a small guy, and he's getting towed through the air <laughs> by his foot, totally off the ground, and we're just flying along. And then I come back down to earth safely and we just thought, man, don't do that at home. <laughs> Crazy times. And we were all right. And he was cool. He's a, he's, he's a big boy. There's a lot of force in that kite. And then my other mate had to go, Caleb, and he, he was taking steps. And every step he took was about 100 meters. I'm like, let go, you idiot. Anyway, then we put the kite away and my mate John found out. And he gave us all a lecture because someone could have died that day. Would have been Tamar. But the reason why I tell you that unholy story is because 
Whatever you attach, attach yourself to in this world, you will end up going. You know, whatever you harness yourself to, whatever you connect yourself to is going to take you somewhere. It's going to take you in a direction. Sometimes it's somewhere where you want to go, and sometimes it's somewhere where you don't want to go. Sometimes you're going to end up, if you attach yourself to the wrong things, the wrong people, the wrong thinking, the wrong teaching, the wrong anything, you're going to end up like Tama going foot first in some crazy direction that you never ever wanted to go. You just, you're not about that, but you end up somewhere where you never ever thought you would go because you attached yourself to the wrong thing. And what I want to ask you tonight is who are you following or what are you following? Like what in your life right now are you following? Because all of us are following something, whether we like it or not. We all follow fashion, we follow the rugby, we follow trends, we follow people on Twitter, you know, and, and why, why do we follow, or some of us do, Alex probably does, no, alright, he's resisted, you know, and we, and we follow people so that we can, we can, like say on Twitter for example, right, I kind of use that a little bit, and like you choose people that you want to follow based on what you think of them. And you choose them because they've got something good to say, or you think they've got something good to say. And then you, 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 know, you go on Twitter, and then they, they give quotes, and they say stuff that inspires you, because you're following them in that sense of what they've got to say, and they give you good advice and, and uplifting things and some things like that. You know, Facebook's the other one, and you know, Facebook can just be is such a monster, really. Some of the crazy stuff you see on there, man, it's just nuts. If you want to know what your youth are up to, if you're going to be a youth pastor, just go on Facebook, it's all there. Straight away, pastoring right there. Check it out. And because uh, people seem to forget that, you know, everybody can see what you're saying that you've made friends with. And so we follow all sorts of things. We follow uh, relationships. You know, we, fo we follow people because we think we want to get into a relationship with them because they're going to make us feel a certain way. We want to dress a certain way because that's going to make us feel like something we want to be. And I want to ask you that question. I've, I said it. Who are you following? What are you following? Because I'd say most people in here tonight, I don't know everyone at, at all, but you know, I'd say as a Christian or you know, at some point in their life has made a decision to follow after Jesus. Right? Jesus came walking on the beach that day and he went up to those guys in the boats and he said, come follow me. The Bible says that immediately they dropped everything. They left their father. It says a little bit later on, the other guys, they left the hired men and they just left it and just went with Jesus. They're just like, I'm in. I'm in. And, and what I'm seeing today, though, is that I'm seeing that with young people, Christianity is becoming a hobby. It's becoming like, you know, a spiritual experience. And, you know, for us, when I, when I grew up, the Bible was the Bible. And I wasn't even a Christian growing up, but yet I would have had respect for the Bible. I would have understood. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I had respect for it. But these days, it's like, well, it's in the Bible. This generation, who cares? So what? What's that? What does that mean to me? Because this postmodern generation is very, very different, you young people here, than what it was when we grew up. And, and I, I really believe that there's a danger right now of people kind of becoming Christians or having a spirit, spiritual experience with Jesus and then just kind of going, that was cool, and really realizing what it is to follow after him. When, when, when Jesus comes to you through church, through people, he shows up in your life, you experience him, the Holy Spirit, and he says to you, come follow me, which he probably has done through some circumstance. When you say, yes, I want to do that, then follow him. 
Follow him. Make it a real, real commitment. You see, I, people, I see people get saved, come into church. I think at the moment we see about five people on average come into our youth ministry every Friday, and we do the thing at the end. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? In other words, do you want to follow after him? And, you know, hands go up. And people come out the front. You guys would see it here every week. People come out the front and they say a prayer which connects them to Jesus. They say the spiritual words. And the Bible says to believe in your heart, to make him your Lord, and you shall be saved. And they do it. And then I'm, I'm serious. About a week later, you know, it might be on Facebook or something like that. This doesn't happen to everyone. And you'll just see something crazily dodgy on their Facebook. And I just kind of think to myself, what happened? You know, I mean, we're not perfect. It doesn't make us perfect. But yet, if we said we're following Jesus and we're following after him, then our life should probably begin to change. And if we made that decision, did we realize what we were doing? Or was it some empty decision that just said, yeah, I'm in for a bit of a spiritual experience. But when Jesus says, come follow me, man, those guys in the boat, they just jumped out. And I don't know about you, but I came out of a life of um, alcohol and drugs and just living crazy. Pretty much most of my teenage life, just living nuts. I was into skateboarding and still am, but you know that doesn't make you nuts. But all the other stuff that comes with it, and, and parties and popularity and all that sort of thing. But when I got saved, man, I got saved. And, and I came up to the front of the church and I brought all my junk with me. It was like so heaps of it. And I just came and just dumped it at Jesus' feet and said, yep, yeah, I'm in. Pastor said, does anyone want to give their life to Jesus? I said, yep. I'm keen for that because you know what? It looked good on the outside. I looked like my life was going good. I had heaps of friends, popular, popularity, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, girlfriends, all that. And I looked like I was happy, but yet inside, man, I was hungry. I was lost. I was hurting and I was looking for the truth. I knew the truth, but I never followed it. And through a series of events, I found myself in a church and the preacher says, who wants to give life to Jesus? He says, yeah, I'm in with everything. And just threw it at Jesus and said, that's all yours. We'll deal with that. And he's like, sweet, I can deal with that. Turn your Bibles if you've got them to Matthew 16. It's going to come up on the screen. Verse 13. And it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I mean, right there, that line alone, I could just read that out tonight, and that is just powerful right there. He said, you are the Messiah, and you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so the question here, Jesus said to them, he wanted to know, what do you think? Who, who am I? I've been hanging out with you. I've been doing miracles. I've been raising the dead. I've been doing all this stuff. But first up, what's everyone saying about me? And they're like, oh man, you know, like some saying you're like John the Baptist. You know, someone else pipes up and says they replied. Some think you're like Jeremiah. Someone else is like, they definitely think you're like powerful man. You're like one of the prophets. You're prophetic. They're like heaps stoked to be around you and see the stuff you're doing. And he's like, oh, that's cool. But what do you say? What do you say? And I ask you that question tonight. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because who you say he is determines your future. 
Who you say he is determines the way you're going to live your life, the decisions you're going to make, the people you're going to follow, the things you're going to do. And ultimately, it's going to determine your eternal destination. And I would say this to you, it's great that you're saved. It's awesome that we're Christians, but is he our Lord? Is Jesus our Lord? Because it's cool to be saved. It's all good. But yet, did we come and give our lives and follow him and then just kind of go back to the world and do what we do and we come in for a little bit of a spiritual thing from time to time? Or have we given our lives to Jesus? This title of theme this year is Dying to Live. Because we're believing to see a generation of young people stand up again that would say, I would give my life for this thing. It ain't just some Friday thing for me. It's a Monday to Sunday, every single day of my life. I want to give my life to this because I believe it. And if it's a reality, if there's a heaven, if there's a hell, if there's a Jesus, if there's a God, if there's a devil, then why not be the most craziest, on fire, nut bar of a Christian you can be? Why not? Don't just be like an average one. Be awesome. Be all you can be. Go and save all your friends. Be the person who goes to school and, and stand on your desk and preach about Jesus. Because you know what? One day, you're not going to be in school. And you're not, I can't even remember school. So they could have laughed at me. Whatever. Who cares? It's gone. Been and gone. But you know what? 10 people might get saved in your classroom. 20 people might get saved in your school. You might see revival break out in your school because you're willing to be crazy. Why? Because you said, when Jesus said, come follow me, you said, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm not just going to do this for something to do. I'm actually in. When you're building this Dominion Youth with Pastors Alex and Cassie, I'm in. I'm into this, man. Like there are people lost, and you know, every single one of these chairs can be full right to the back of young people passionately worshiping with God. If everyone here just said, I'm in, that's all it would take. That's all it would take. I've got quite a few um, scriptures that I just want to go through. Actually, only three more, but I just want to do that and come to an end. I don't want to talk too long. But the next one is Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 10. And this is a parable that Jesus told. And I just really felt this parable goes alongside with this message. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. This, this would have to be one of the dumbest prayers I've prayed. God, I thank you. Where am I? That I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this dude, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance, this other guy. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so in this story, we've got two people coming to church, right? The Pharisee is the religious guy. He's the pastor. He's the guy who's got it all. And these times, he's the law-driven guy who's got it all together. He's the guy that you go to talk to if you want to know about God. If you want to know about heavenly things and how to be a righteous person and get your life right, go talk to that guy. In society, people probably looked at him like he, he knew what he was doing and he was the holy man. And then we've got this other guy who's a tax collector, who was basically the scum of the earth. And I reckon we could probably say that he was like a drug dealer in today's society. And he's coming up to the church and he's got some weed in his pocket. He's just smoked his last bong. 
and he stinks of weed and he's coming up and you know it says that he wouldn't even look up to heaven, not because he was too stoned, but because he, he just felt like, man, I just feel unworthy for God. And he wouldn't even look up and it said he tore his clothes and beat his breast and God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he came with this attitude, he came with this mindset of, man, this is how you approach God. This is how I want to come to God. This is how I want to come to the temple. And Jesus says, man, this guy is justified. The other guy, I'm not so sure because all he's praying is, God, I just thank you so much that I'm not like this drug dealer from East Nowra. That's right. Let's go. I live there. The Bronx. Did you ever get like some new clothes? Of course you did. And like, I know you. I really love to go, like shopping, like into skate stores and stuff like that, and buy, you know, new skateboards and shoes and stuff like that. To be honest, it happens like hardly ever. I've got like four children. Yeah, that awesome. Actually, we've got Indy Rose, who's three months. Really cool, cutest baby that ever lived on the face of the earth. And then we've got Blaze, who's a four-year-old boy. Who, when you have kids, we've talked about this at dinner tonight. Be careful what you name them. Because it's actually true. In biblical days, you, the, the names that we gave people were powerful, and it's the same today. Because I gave this boy Blaze a name called Blaze, and he is a Blaze. He is on fire, man. He's four. He's going to take the world on this kid. And then we've got another daughter called Sierra, who's six. And you like that? Six. Beautiful sound. And, uh, and Trinity, who's eight. And, you know, I just love having a family, awesome family, my wife Tammy. And I'm just really, really blessed. So, you know, as you can imagine, like having a family like that, there's not always heaps of money to go shopping. And there's always someone that needs something else and all of that. So I don't, I'm not saying like I'm this big guy who just goes around shopping, this big preacher guy with all this money. Yeah, right. And, uh, but my, my wife's so cool. She, um, she is so selfless. Like when she goes to the shops, she, she'll struggle to buy anything. I'm like, man, would you just get something? I'll just get it for you. What do you want? I try to find out, you know, it hardly ever happens. <laughs> Alex, is, is this different in your home? Yeah, yeah it's totally opposite. Normally is. And uh, no, just kidding. Not the selfish part, but just wanting to shop. And, uh, and she's just like, and it's because she's always, and, and she's just, she actually grew up a bit hard up and stuff like that. So she's just got this, this value and appreciation for money and buying things. And she just can't make up her mind because she wants to be sure and she wants to kind of think about it and maybe she'll come back the next day and maybe get it. I'm just like, oh my goodness, would you just buy it? I'm like, man, I'm the guy. I walk in, I'm serious. If I go into a shop and I know what I want and I see that thing, 10 minutes, I'm a, like a hunter, man, a hunters. Just go on there, find it, get it, kill it, get to the counter, pay for it, I'm out. Ten minutes later, she's just like, I can't believe you just did it. How do you do that? And I'm like, well, because, you know what, when I, when I know what I want, I know what I want. And when I see it, it sees me, and we just come together. We're, we're, we're connected. And I'm out. And I was thinking about this today. I was just thinking about this today. And the whole thing of like, you know, when we first become Christians, I don't know about you, but when, we, when I first became a Christian, when I first, when Jesus came into my life and he says, come and follow me, and I went down to that altar and says, here it is, here I am, take my life and use it, I was so stoked that I'd been saved. I was just telling everyone, you know, it's like, oh yeah, just give my life to Jesus. And yeah, I used to like smoke heaps of drugs and you know, like, you know, you've seen those fresh Christians, they just don't care. And it's just like, yeah, man, I'm just like, ah, I used to do all this stuff. And you know, we're just telling everyone everything. 
remember my brother got saved and he had he got saved before me and he had an interview on the radio because it was like big news this guy um, Nick Clegg the skater guy got saved and he had some friends and they, they put him on the radio and he's going yeah man I used to like take magic mushrooms and stuff and uh, you know just do all the stuff and I'm like I'm not even I'm not saved man and he's telling the world all the stuff mum and dad are like oh your brother used to do all this stuff eh? what about you and I'm like yeah thanks man yeah cheers oh, good tell everyone about what we get up to But praise God, I got saved as well later and told the same stories. But uh, finally came out, you know. But he, he, when you first become a Christian, you're just like, mate, you just want to shout it off the rooftops, don't you? And it doesn't matter about your sin because you know what? The sin ain't my sin anymore. It's Jesus gone. You know, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to be saved by his grace. And he's, he's going to help me with this. So it doesn't matter about the dumb stuff I've done. Check it out. How stupid is it? But the more we become a Christian, the more we walk with God, the more we become leaders the more we don't want to tell anyone about our sin. The more we want to develop masks, and it's like, hey, how you going? Good, but not really inside. You know, because it's kind of like those new clothes. When we get new clothes, right, we get them, we wear them, and after like a week or so, we can get some new stuff and put on, we feel really good. You get that? You, know, you get something new and you kind of like it, you know, it's cool, it makes you feel good. Cassie's just loving it. And... Um, you know, and then, but then you can, you can wear that thing every day for a week and who knows, it becomes old real quick. Real quick. And then you've got to go out and get something else again because it's just not doing it for you anymore. Maybe I'm a woman. I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I might have been born that way. I don't know. Could be. Could be. Apparently it happens. So, and Christianity can be like this. I've seen it time and time and time again. I've had it in my own life where I'm a leader, man. I'm expected. I'm a pastor in a church. I don't think I'm allowed any problems. You know, and I've been through this over the years of just struggling with things and just keeping them myself, keeping up the face. And you know, this is another aspect of when we follow Jesus and life comes and tough times come, we can get worn out. And it can be about the rules and this guy, this Pharisee guy, right, he was all about the rules. He was all about keeping up appearances. He just wanted to look good. He had all the right things to say. He tithed and he was heaps better than that drug dealer guy. And he was bound up by rules. But the other guy came to Jesus and he was living under the grace. He was free. He was finding God. He was coming to the temple with an attitude. And Jesus' grace was there to, to give him freedom. And we've got to continue to live in this place as we follow Jesus, not develop hard hearts, not get wandered, wandering away from the mission because, I don't know, we're struggling with things and we don't want to talk to our brother or sister or our leaders about it. we just got to stay on track and follow Jesus and keep the freedom that he has about our life under his grace all over us. You see, so many people today think it's all about rules and regulations. They think that if they become a Christian... That I'm going to have to, you know, I can't go partying anymore. I can't do all this stuff anymore. You know what? Things will change in your life when you become a Christian because you've found a new way to live, because you've found the truth. If it's real, you've found the truth. But some people really struggle with that and they think that, you know, it's all about the rules. It's all about the law. And this guy was all about the law. Uh, recently, I was thinking, and we've been talking through some stuff we've been reading, and in America, they have farms ranches and they go for miles and miles and miles right and they don't have any fences around them they don't fence in the animals because you know what sometimes at church and youth ministry 
this is probably a little bit more to, to leaders, but I think sometimes we think we want to just get kids in this box and we just want to make them, you know, kind of worship this way and look this way and that way, but it ain't ever going to happen. And it can become a little bit of a law mentality, a little bit of a, you know, we've just got to get to this place. If we're, follow, if we're following Jesus, this is what this is all about. This is what this looks like. But there's these farms and they don't have fences. They bore down into the ground real, real deep and they make these wells that the animals don't go too far away from. And the animals won't go, I think it's like 10 kilometers or something away from the water source. And we've got to be Christians. We've got to be people that we don't wander from Jesus. We don't wander away from our first love. And, the, and if we create these type of places, it's not about rules. It's about Jesus. It's about his grace. It's about following after the answer to life and giving our life to a worthy cause. And if we, we create living water, it says that Jesus is the living water. And when we drink of this, we will never thirst again. And let's create places and be people that attract people to Jesus. Not because of rules, not because of regulations, but because of freedom. And when we keep our hearts soft and we, we keep where we were when we first met him, and you know, I know we get worn out, I know we get tired, but man, you just got to keep coming back to him, doing it for real. And it's only by following him that we stay free and we keep the fire burning. I got one more scripture. I wonder if I can just get the, the keyboard player. Is that okay? Awesome. Just as it comes up on the screen, I'm not going to read it again, but the very first scripture that I read, Mark 1, Mark 1, starting in verse 9, I talked about how Jesus came to the guys at the boat and he said to them, come follow me. And if you were a Jewish person, a young person, growing up in these times, right, the greatest uh, occupation in this place was to be a teacher of the word of God, to be a rabbi, to be someone who, who worked in the synagogue, and you know, very different to our world right now. In Jerusalem at the time, you know, if your father or something was a rabbi man, like that there is the, that's the pinnacle of society right there. And every young person in this world, in this Jewish world, where Jesus was at this time, where these guys were in the boat, every young person had to go to this thing called the school of learning. And there were stages in the school. This is true. This is how Jerusalem was set up. Because it was, it was all about the law, the Old Testament. And there were rabbis and there were teachers of the law that would come and, and teach these things. And it was the highest thing in society. And young people would go through and they would have to have, at the first stage, they would have to have learnt the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, off by heart. All of them, all five, the law. And I think it was by age like 16 or something like that. And what would happen is they went through these three stages. If they, didn't, um, if they didn't do too well or they weren't the best student, they would then just be kind of put out of the school nicely, whatever, and they would go back to their father's business, whatever that was. And, but what would happen as the young people went through from level to level to level, the third level, would they would have to sit with rabbis because there were rabbis there, and they would read the Bible aloud and they would discern it with each other and they would discuss it with each other. And it was all, you know, everyone was held accountable and they would do this. And what a rabbi would do, when a student came to the end, he'd have to be able to sit and debate with a rabbi and ask questions because the question was a sign of intelligence. If you could, you know, when someone asked you a question, what Jesus always threw a question back. And Jesus was a rabbi. And this is a sign of intelligence. In this world, you answer a question with a question. 
And when these young people got to this place, rabbis would come and they would choose students from the school, the synagogue. And they would go to them and they would say those words. They weren't English words, it was Greek words, but they said, come follow me. And when they said those words, those students knew what that meant. It meant that they then went and bound themselves to that rabbi and they became their disciple. And they followed them wherever they went. They talk about the dust of the rabbis because these young disciples would literally be covered in dust from following the rabbis around, learning from them. They would each have different teachings, what we call a yoke. And it would all just be a little bit different to the other one, like Rabbi Alex might believe that you know, on the Sabbath, he would be okay if you went and went down to the dairy to get some milk, corner store, something like that. And Rabbi Tama might go, no, nah, you don't do any work on the Sabbath, and I'm, I'm not going to allow that for my disciples. But they're, they're minor things that don't make a big deal in the big scheme of things, and it's all done in society and community. And so if I became Tama's disciple, he came to me and said, come follow me. I'm his disciple, and, I, and I'm not allowed to go to the shop on the Sabbath because I'm following that rabbi. Now, it was all law-driven. It was all bound by the law. It was all about what the rabbi did with the law and his teachings. And then when Jesus came walking along that beach that day, an obscure Jewish rabbi, because that's what he was, he went up to these boys who had obviously not made it through the school because they're in the boat with their father fishing. They're back at their father's business because they didn't make it. And he said to them, he says, come follow me. And then it's like, what? A rabbi just came to me and just said these words, but hang on a minute. And what he's saying is, come follow me now, be my disciple, come under my yoke, come under my teaching, which is heaps different to everybody else's when it's coming from a law-driven background. I've got one last scripture just to go with this. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. It's the last slide. And just write down the bottom here. We won't read the rest. Write down the bottom just for the sake of time. It says, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these words, Jesus says this right here to all of the universe. He says this to everybody here right now. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We live in a messed up world, do we not? Every time we turn on the news, we see crazy, crazy things. People killing people, people strapping bombs to themselves, people doing things to little children and just stuff that you just cannot get your head around. But you understand that we live in a messed up, fallen world that is full of sin. And man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm weary. Sometimes I feel burdened. Sometimes I feel tired and, you know, and just a bit lost with the things of this world. But Jesus says, come to me. And have you noticed that the world right now is screaming the very, very same thing? Come to me. Relationships are screaming, come to me. 
and it offers the same thing. Everything is screaming at you, the media, drugs, parties, all that stuff, and it tries to offer the same thing, peace and rest. If you will just fit in with these people, if you can just go to this party and do this and, I don't know, be a part of this and get into this group, then maybe you'll get rest, maybe you'll get peace, maybe you'll find what you're looking for. But the devil always tries to counterfeit God, and it's never the same thing. And this world is offering rubbish to young people every single day. If you can just get over here or hang out with them or go out with him or go out with her, you will feel good, you will have rest, you will have peace, and you'll find what you're looking for. But every single time when you follow those wrong things and attach yourself to wrong people and wrong things that you think are filling you up, you will find yourself empty again. Because Jesus is the only one that can come and say, come to me because my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My teaching is easy. It's not religious. It's not law-driven. It's not bound up by rules, but it's grace. And when you follow under me and my teachings and you become one of my disciples, you are set free. And you will experience fulfillment like you've never had it. You will experience peace. This world can't offer you peace. It can offer you temporary satisfaction. But it can never, ever offer you what Jesus can. I'm just going to finish with one last little story. And it's a parable that I heard by, the name, by a man, Reinhard Bonnke. You know who Reinhard Bonnke is? Remember it was oh, like 2005 or something like that. I was at Hillsong Conference. And he told this parable and at the end he said, who wants to give their life to Jesus? And I'm a pastor at a church and you know, my, my hand goes up. I'm like, I was so moved by what happened in that room. I didn't really think I needed, I wasn't going to heaven or anything like that. I just, I just got to respond. Someone comes up to me, you're trying to give me some stuff, and I was like, come on, my pastor. I don't really need that stuff, no. But I just felt so moved. And, and this, um, you know, because when God speaks to you, I don't, care who, I don't care who I am. I don't care what title I've got. I don't care what's going on, man. If God speaks to my heart, I'm going to respond. And this parable was something like this with maybe a new version attached. And there was a man who had 10 rooms in this mansion. He had a mansion. He had 10 rooms in it. He had five rooms upstairs and he had five rooms downstairs. And he lived there all by himself. And one day he's downstairs and he's having breakfast, minding his own business, and he heard this knock at the door. And he goes to the door and he opens the door and it's Jesus at the door. And Jesus comes in and he says, can I come into your house and, and, and stay with you? Can I, come in, can I come into your house? And the man says, yeah, cool. Why don't you come in and Live with me. Actually, I've got this room upstairs, and it's right in the corner up the top. It's the penthouse. It's got the latest pierce, whatever it's up to. And I don't even know about that stuff anymore. And it's got like, it's just got everything. It's got all the good stuff in it. And I want, to, I want you to have that room, seeing as you are the savior of the world. I reckon you deserve it, because you made all this stuff anyway. And so Jesus, being a gentleman, says, yeah, cool, I'll come in. I'll take that room. He goes upstairs and shuts the door. And the, down, the man's downstairs the next day having breakfast and he hears this knock at the door and he thinks, who's that? And he goes to the door and he opens the door and it's the devil at the door. And he comes in and he's, he's jumping on the couch and he's turning up the stereo and he's eating all the food and he's putting all sorts of temptation upon the man. He's making him feel bad about everything in his life. And the man just wrestles with him and fights with him all day and finally he gets him out of the door and shuts the door. And he's exhausted. And he's thinking, what the heck is that about? He goes upstairs, knocks on Jesus' door. Excuse me, Jesus. I don't understand what happened here. You live here? 
I just had the devil show up in my house, come in here, just trash me in my whole place. What's going on with that? And Jesus says, well, you know what? I only occupy one room in your house. Man's like, oh, okay, cool. Why don't you have the whole top floor and I'll have the bottom floor? Five rooms for you, five rooms for me. Jesus says, yep, sweet as, good deal. Man goes back downstairs, next day he's having breakfast and he hears this knock at the door and he's like, oh, I don't know who, who that is. And I hope it's not the devil again. And he goes to the door and he opens it and sure enough it's the devil and he's in the house and he's jumping on the chair and he's got the guy in a headlock and giving him wedgies and just like turning up the stereo, blows up the speakers, throwing food, eating everything, putting temptation upon him, accusing him of all sorts of horrible stuff. And the man fights and fights and fights and finally squeezes him out the door and slams the door shut, goes up to Jesus exhausted and lost and confused and says, what the heck is going on, man? You're like the guy, like the guy that did all that. What's going on? You're the savior. You defeated the devil and he's coming here again today and just done all this stuff. Jesus says, I only occupy half of your house. The man says, okay, cool, I get it. Why don't you have nine rooms and I'll have one? Jesus, being a gentleman, says, okay. And you know what? Sometimes in our life, there's, there's one room. You know, yeah, we're saved, but is he our Lord? There's one room. That's our room. You know, there's a do not disturb sign on that door. And that's where we keep all the junk. It's like when my girls are tied in their room up and I say, you've got 10 minutes to have this place sorted or else. And I come back and it's spotless. I'm like, awesome. And I open the cupboard and it all falls out. I start again. But there's one room and we just want to put everything in it and say, God, you've got nine rooms in my life. You can have all of them. You can live with me. But that one ain't yours. You ain't going to get it. There's a do not disturb sign on the door. And that's where I'm keeping my stuff. And you're not going on there. Man goes back downstairs and has breakfast. Knock on the door next day. He's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this again. That sounds like the same knock. If you can have a knock the same. And then he goes to the door and he thinks, nah, it's going to be someone from Avon. And he opens the door and it's the devil. And in he gets again and, and he's jumping over the place and temptation upon the man, accusation, thing after thing after thing, beating him, punching him in the face, everything. Wrestles with him, fights, man. Finally gets him out, shuts the door, exhausted. Oh, Jesus goes to him. What's going on, man? Like, I've got a Bible. tells me that you defeated this guy. Like, you took the keys and all the stuff. Like, he's stuff. You, you, you dealt to this dude. But he comes in here. This is your place, man. I only got one room. And you got nine. I mean, how many do you want? And he comes in here. And he messes me up all day, every single day. And Jesus says, well, you know, I only occupy nine rooms of your house. And the guy's like, oh, it's like, hello. Finally wakes up. Light goes on. Oh, yeah. Well, how about you have the house? How about I make this your house? How about I sign over everything I've got to you? How about I grab all my junk and just dump it at your feet and say, that's yours? Because I don't want this anymore because I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to let you into that other room. I'm going to give this whole place to you. Here's the papers. Sign it over. It ain't mine anymore. It's yours and I'm going to live with you. And Jesus is like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Does the deal. Man goes back downstairs the next day he's having breakfast. He hears a knock at the door and freaks out. Oh, I think I can do this again. He's just like, oh man. He just goes walking to the door. 
gets halfway to the door and he thinks, hang on, man, this ain't my house. He's like, Jesus, there's someone at the door. Jesus comes down the stairs in his robe, you know, breakfast time, and goes walking up to the door. The man's like walking behind him and like, get, you don't see what's going to happen. He's trying to see over him, you know. And, and Jesus opens the door and there's like no one there. And then the man looks a bit closer and then he looks around and he sees the devil is there. But the devil is as low as low can be. And he's laying face first on the ground. And he won't even look up. And he just says in the squeaky little Australian voice, I'm sorry, I got the wrong house. And Jesus says, that's right, you did. Shuts the door, goes back inside and has fellowship with the man. They have breakfast together. They dine together. And they have communion together because this is Jesus' house. And he ain't just saved, but Jesus is his Lord. And when he comes to you and says, come, follow me, and you make that decision, or maybe you've never made that decision, but if you do, then I'm asking you, would you give everything you've got? Would you follow after him with, with all of your might, not just the hobby, not just the spiritual experience, but every single thing in you and say, God, take this life, take this broken life, whatever it is, and use it for your glory. Use me in your schools. Use me at work. Use me to build a massive youth ministry and church with Pastor Alex and Cassie and you. Use us to win Shell Harbor for you. Because this is your mission right here, what you've been given. I just want to ask if we could all just stand to our feet. And you know, for most of my life, growing up as a teenager, I followed the wrong things. I followed the wrong people. I followed the wrong pretty much everything. Got myself mixed up in all sorts of dumb stuff. Did lots of traveling and just came to a place of brokenness and emptiness and hunger, and then God showed up in my life. I knew who he was all of my life. I knew Jesus was real, but I didn't want to follow him because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I just gave my life to him. Since then, I mean, it hasn't been perfect. It's been ups and downs because Christianity isn't like a genie in the bottle. It just makes everything better. We still go through things. We still suffer, but Jesus joins us in our suffering. He walks with us. And, but you know what? We're on the right path. We're on the will of God for our life. We're on the place. And I can tell you, man, I just love every day that I'm alive now with my family and my kids and what God's doing through our lives and just, just love seeing it and serving God. And I've got to ask you the question. I just want you to pray with me. So everyone just close their eyes. Lord, I just thank you that you are here tonight. Lord, that you are everywhere all of the time. That we, there is nowhere, Lord, that we can go where you are not. And Father, sometimes we just don't even know that you're there. But all we've got to do is turn and look.